0: How many of you? How did you feel this morning when you woke up? I hope you I hope you woke up feeling fine because I think we're time. going to adopt that song as the theme song of this church. So why don't you stand up and help us sing it? We've asked Josh to do it for us. Okay. Okay. Everybody sing
1: now. Well, I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind I woke up with joy in my soul Cause I knew my Lord had control I knew I was walking in the light Cause I've been on my knees in the night And I prayed to the Lord, give me sight And now I'm feeling mighty fine Feeling mighty fine I've got heaven on my mind Oh, don't you know I want to go Where the milk
2: and honey flows There's a light That always shines Down inside This heart of
1: mine I've got heaven Heaven on my mind and mighty fine We're walking with... Oh, you want to take a round soon? One more time soon Here we go We're walking with Jesus all the time We're walking and talking as we climb We're traveling a road to the sky Where with him we'll live when we die He's been telling me all about that land And he tells me that everything is grand And he says that a home will be mine Feeling mighty fine, y'all sing it now. Well I'm feeling mighty mighty fine. 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 I got got heaven heaven on my mind. mind. Oh, don't you know? Don't you know I wanna go where heaven on my mind, and I'm feeling mighty, the course again, oh, I'm feeling mighty fine, i got heaven on my mind, oh, don't you know, don't you know? I want to go, go. where the, the milk? milk and honey flows, oh, there's, there's, there's a light that light. always shines Inside, inside this heart of, of mine i've got, I've heaven, got heaven, heaven on my mind, on my mind. y'all my help heart, us out and, and i'm feeling, and feeling you gotta help us out on this part you say you say how are you feeling i'm feeling, feeling fine. fine are you feeling fine? fine because the lord has made you fine <laughs> feeling fine yeah we don't know the ending <laughs> say it one more time do we well, do it? it's what do what? you have? It's, I've got heaven, heaven on my mind. Y'all shout it now. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling heaven. fine, feeling fine.
0: I think we'll we could say that, that.
1: <coughs> huh? We'll have to learn that. I think we could say that, right? Everybody can oh, say sure that. Can say if it. you're in Jesus Christ, no matter how you're feeling, you can feeling feel just fun. fine in Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All oh. right. Go ahead. Uh. All right. Just remain standing with us, if you will. Again, I want to say welcome to all of you here at the Grace Church at Franklin on Forty Fifty Two Toronto Road. I say that not because you who are here don't know where we are, but people who visit in the Nashville, Tennessee may not know where we're located be happy to have you come out and study God's Word with us. We're going to sing a hymn of petition to the Lord to ask Him to help us this morning as we look into His Holy Word. Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time where we're going to be going. We're just going to use this as a springboard text, Genesis chapter 39, and then we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 50, Matthew chapter 22, and Hebrews chapter 6. Genesis 39, Genesis 50, Matthew 22. And Hebrews chapter 6. And this is the 24th study on the theme, the story of Joseph. (coughs) And today our theme is the faith of Joseph, especially the foundation of his faith and the implications of his faith. Genesis chapter 39, only one verse this morning. Joseph's master, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Maybe one more verse, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of of the keeper of the prison. goes on to tell us that the keeper of the prison put everything in Joseph's hands and he was in charge of everything in the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say, praise the Lord. And you may be seated now, my habit in teaching is to review, and sometimes you don't know when I get out of the review and into what I have to say today, and that's okay. i try to tell you when we're getting into it, but sometimes I do not. Since I can legitimately say it's been a year <laughs> since we've been in the story of Joseph, I interrupted the series of st- stories for the of the 25th, and I interrupted it again for New Year's. And so now we're coming back to it. So in our last study in this series regarding the story of Joseph, we learned several lessons. I'm going to refresh your minds about those lessons. Lesson number one, to every event in a believer's life, there are secondary causes and a primary cause. Now I hope you know that all of these lessons I'm gleaning from the life of Joseph. When we find Joseph in prison, We know that there are secondary causes for his being imprisoned, and that there is a primary cause. And I emphasize this a lot because I think today that America has forgotten the God who has made this nation great. And we need to continually expose people to the God of the Bible because I am afraid that many... Have a God of their own imagination. So let me repeat that point. To every event in a believer's life, there are secondary causes and a primary cause. We can think of all kinds of things and all kinds of persons who contributed or that contributed to getting Joseph where he is in Egypt in prison. I think his father's favoritism caused it. Remember, he made him a coat of many colors. His brothers were already jealous of him, and that just spiked it. And then there was his brother's jealousy. He was sold to the Ishmaelites. Then he was sold to Potiphar. And then there was the, the advances. There were the advances and the lies of Potiphar's wife. In fact, one thing that contributed as a secondary cause was the honesty and the integrity of Joseph. He was a man of integrity, and he was an honest person, and he just simply wouldn't bend the truth. But the primary cause of Joseph being in prison is the sovereign will of God, because he had determined that Joseph would be the prime minister of Egypt, and he had revealed this fact to Joseph, and Joseph through Joseph to his family, by means of two dreams. And what I want you to know, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, is this. I want you to understand and settle this in your mind that we reach our destination by the will of God, whether that's the permissive or the decretive will of God. In other words, He either deliberately moves us or He permits us to be moved. As Solomon said, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that men have various and sundry ways of trying to determine what they should do to learn God's will, but God himself determines the answer. Again, Solomon said, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. What does that teach us? It teaches us that the Lord controls the mind and the decisions of a king or a president or a prime minister or a congress or a parliament as easily as he directs the course of a stream. God is the primary cause of the lot of Joseph as he is with every child of God. You would agree with me, and anybody would with a casual reading of Scripture, that Joseph will not become the prime minister of Egypt accidentally. He would become the prime minister of Egypt on purpose. And no sinner becomes a child of the King of Heaven accidentally. Nor will we get to heaven accidentally. We will get there on purpose, by the divine purpose of God. Lesson number two, we must walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to emphasize that in this study today. Sight sees things as they appear to be. Faith sees things as they are. Sight cannot look beyond the obvious But faith discerns the hand of God in all things. Joseph was told he was going to be exalted. He didn't know exactly the position. We're told we're going to be in heaven. He didn't know what would come between that time and the time that he would actually fulfill God's will in becoming prime minister. We're like Joseph. We must trust the Lord in all things and through all things because we have not been told all things that will happen to us on our journey to heaven. But since we know we are in His hands, we know that nothing will befall us that is not for our soul's good. We can trust Him in all things. Lesson number three. The Lord does not always deliver all of His children from all of their hardships as they travel through this world. Certainly Joseph is an example. You know Joseph is a child of God. You know the Lord loves him. You know the Lord has a special purpose for him. But nevertheless, He did not spare him from all of these trials and troubles, From the jealousy of his brothers, to the selling of the Ishmaelites to the selling of Potiphar, to the advancement of Potiphar's wife, and now he's in prison. Look at all of the things that he's gone through. God did not deliver him. His God and our God did not deliver him from all of his troubles and trials, but he did go with him through those hardships. He always goes with us through them, but he does not always deliver us from them. The Lord brought him through, but he didn't deliver him from them. Now we are assured of this truth from passages we looked at in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 35, that although many of the saints of God have lived glorious lives, others have sailed through bloody seas. Some were mocked, some were whipped, some were put in chains, some were taken off to prison, some were stoned, some were sawn into... Some didn't have decent clothing. Some had to live in the dens and caves of the earth. They were forced to wander in the desert. All kinds of things, but the Bible says they all received a good report. I think somebody's trying to get in out there. We're going to have to post somebody by that door, I guess. (laughs) We may not be delivered from every trial or trouble in this world, but let me tell you this, we can count it all joy when we fall Into trouble because when we fall into trouble, not trouble that we've made for our own, but when we fall into trouble, we are privileged to suffer for His sake because we know that tried faith, according to James chapter 1 and verse 2, tried faith, faith that is tried, works patience. Blessed is the man that endures trials, for when the trials are over, He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to all who love Him. And those who love Him are those who trust Him, regardless of the circumstances. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, we boast of our troubles, because we know that trouble produces endurance, and endurance produces God's approval, He is pleased when we endure trusting Him, and His approval creates hope. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Lesson number 4, we can be thankful, therefore, in all things because we are promised that the Lord will work in all things for our good. Even if those things in themselves are not good, the Lord will work through them. Now, I mentioned that we're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture, so now is a good time to turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. In your Bible, and we see this testimony of Joseph to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and in verse 20. This is Joseph meeting with his brothers after their father has died. And they are fearful that he's going to take revenge upon them now that their father has died. But he says this, verse 19, fear not, am I in God's place? Am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save many people alive. He said, your intentions were not good, but God used your bad intentions and your evil uh, actions to bring to pass, bring to pass good. Through that, he preserved the whole family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would have starved to death. They would have all died in the famine that's going to be coming if the Lord had not Preserved them. And he used their jealousy and their envy to spare Joseph and to put him down into Egypt. Now, this is a good place for us to jump in and today's study. The Bible teaches that Joseph survived and Joseph even thrived while going through severe trial by believing God. In other words, Joseph trusted God and the word that he had from God. He had had a word from the Lord about his future, and he believed God. So like his father Jacob and his grandfather Isaac and his great-grandfather Abraham, Joseph stood by faith upon the Lord's promise. Now there are three great events which testify of Joseph's faith. And this is where we're going to be this morning, but we're going to use these passages that I've told you about, Genesis 50 and uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 22. The three great events that testify of Joseph's faith are these. First of all, his faithfulness through all of his trials. All of his trials he believed God. When the Lord told him, "I've got great plans for you," immediately his brothers rose up against him. We're going to kill him. But at the suggestion of one of their brothers, they did not kill him. They threw him into a pit. And then another brother said, "Let's don't kill him. Let's sell him." And they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And that's how he got into Egypt. Through all of that, we can see that Joseph was faithful in believing God, and we know that because everywhere he was placed, he excelled. When he was put into uh, Potiphar's house, in a little while, maybe a year or so, he was running the whole estate for Potiphar. When he was put in prison, he began to be the chief man, even in prison. How could he do that? Because he trusted the Lord, and because he trusted the Lord Whatever his hand found to do, he did it with all of his might as unto the Lord. Not really considering his circumstances. So Joseph's faithfulness through all of his trials testifies of his faith. No matter what came his way, he trusted his God. Second, we see... A second event that testifies of Joseph's faith, and it is this, Joseph's confession. We just read it. Joseph's confession to his brothers, as recorded in Genesis 50, testifies of his faith in the promises of God. Genesis 50 occurs many years later after Joseph has been made prime minister and after the death of his father. But even after all of these events, when he looked back, to when he was just a young lad, 17 years old. That's how old he was when his brother sold him. 17 years old. When he looked back, he saw the hand of God in every event. He saw that the Lord was in control and that the Lord was moving him along according to his own purpose and plan. And this testifies greatly of the faith of Joseph in the promise of God. Bottom line, really, in the Scripture for all believers is just believing God's promise. The book, the Bible, is a book of promises. Now, here's the third event that testifies of Joseph's faith, and it's found here in Genesis chapter 50. Let's read it first, and, and I'm going to look at it. I'm going to open it up for you a little bit more in detail. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse twenty. 24. Joseph said to his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now let's open up these comments by Joseph. The first thing he says is, I am going to die, but literally what he says is, my body will die, but I will not. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and then we're going to come back to uh, Genesis 50. So you might mark that. In fact, I'm going to put my marker back over here, so I don't have to look for it. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll kind of go back and forth to uh, Genesis 50. New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 22 has been approached by a group of people called the Sadducees. Now, in the New Testament, there were several major groups, religious groups, but also kind of political powers uh, in the area that we have called Palestine in Jerusalem and those surrounding areas. The Pharisees were the fundamentalist, and the Pharisees operated on legal principles. They were very critical of anything and everything. And if you were not part of their group, Uh, You were cursed. You were absolutely not a child of God. There's no way you could know God and not be a Pharisee. Then there were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the so-called liberals of their day. They denied the resurrection of the body. They denied spirits, and they denied angels. Now, Matthew records this in, uh, this incident in chapter 22. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 12, if you care to do some more reading on it. You can read when Paul made his defense in Acts chapter 23. You can say there that Paul said he was trying to get him to calm down. Everywhere he went, he caused a riot. <laughs> and he was trying to get him to calm down, and he said, Uh, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee. Well, all the Pharisees said, hey, shut up. Let's let's see what he's got to say. And then it makes this comment, and it says that the Sadducees denied angels and spirits in the resurrection. So these Sadducees, who did not believe in any kind of life after the death of the body, are trying to entrap our Lord with some deceitful questions. And all of you probably have heard this story many times. It's recorded at verses 22 through 28 of Matthew chapter 22. And the story very simply is this. There was a man who had a wife and he died. Now the Jewish law said that when a man died and he was married to a woman and they had no children, that that man's name in genealogy was not to die with him. So the woman was to marry his brother if he was unmarried. And so the story is that there was a man who had a wife, and he died having no children. And she married the second brother, and he died, married the third brother, and he died, the fourth brother, the fifth brother, all the way up to seven brothers. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. They heard these things that Jesus had answered the Pharisees, and they marveled and they left him and they went their way. And that same day, verse 23, the Sadducees came, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren. And the first, when he married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, having no children, he left his wife unto his brethren. Likewise, the second also and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection now you see, this question is being asked by people who do not believe in the resurrection. They're trying to show how stupid and silly it is to logically believe in a resurrection. In the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they were all married unto her. And Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. Now, notice what Jesus said. First of all, he said, you're ignorant of the Scriptures. These are people who were supposed to be Bible scholars. But he said, you're ignorant of the Scriptures. Secondly, he said, you're ignorant of the power of God. Now, let me stop and say this to all of you. If you want to drive out doubtings and fears, if you want to be able to walk in this world with an inner sense of victory, an inner sense of assurance, an inner sense of peace, a comfort, and a relationship with the Lord. Let me tell you how to do it. You have to get doctrine in your soul. You have to get doctrine, the teaching of Scripture, the Word of God, in your soul. Romans 10, 17, most of us are familiar with it. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, if that's true, Romans 10, 17, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, what will result from more and more hearing of the word of God? Well, the answer is evident. It is stronger and more resilient faith. I believe that Joseph is a person that made much of the Word of God. I believe Abraham was a person who made much of the Word of God. And Isaac did, and certainly David did, who wrote all of those Psalms. They made much of the Word of God. They had doctrine in their souls. To hear the Word of God, my dear friends, is more than just attending the teaching of it. You must read it for yourselves. You must meditate upon it for yourselves. You must memorize it, and you must live upon it. Wasn't it Jesus who said, Man shall not live by bread alone, quoting Moses in the law? Man shall not live by bread alone, but listen now, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I wouldn't buy a house or shop at Walmart without first praying about it. I would look to the Lord in everything. I would look for his hand in everything that you do, in every decision that you make, in every place you go. I would pray about it and lay it before him and say, Lord, please lead me and teach me your word and put it inside of me. Did you get it? We are to live Upon the Word of God. It's no wonder we are weak spiritually if our diet is poor. If we're going to be strong in the Lord, if we're going to be strong for the Lord, then we must eat and we must sleep and we must live upon the Word of God. What did David say? who's called a man after God's own heart, what did he have to say about the blessed man? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He says this man is a man that is blessed of God. But how did this man get the courage? Where did this man get the strength? Not to walk in the counsel, take the counsel of ungodly men. Standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Where did he get the strength to do that? Where did he get the power to do that? Here's the next phrase. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That is, in the word of God and in his word, in his law, does he meditate day and night. He meditates in the Word of God day and night. Take a Bible with you. Take it with you. Take a scripture in the morning and write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. Look at it during the day. Try to memorize it. Get it in you. He says that person will be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. A tree that's always getting the water of life, the water from heaven That brings forth fruit in his season, and his leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The scripture says, I believe that that applies, of course, first of all, to our Lord Jesus Christ. But it also applies to his people. We must meditate in the word of God. Delight ourselves in the word of God day and night. Let me ask you this. For what purpose has the Lord given us His mind and His will in written form? What's the purpose of the Scriptures? It's what it says. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration comes from a word that means God breathed. Theos noustos. All Scripture is breathed by God. And listen now. The first thing is good for, it's profitable for doctrine, profitable for doctrine, it's profitable for reproof. You see, when you learn doctrine, the, the Spirit of God will use the, the doctrine to reprove you about things that you shouldn't be doing, the things you shouldn't be following, or areas in your life. Then it says for correction, what happens when you're approved? There comes a correction process in your life. You think differently, and you do differently, for instruction in righteousness. We are to live after the Spirit of the Lord, walking after our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are instructed by doctrine, reproof, and correction, giving us everything we need to walk in righteousness. Then he says, that the man of God, that's a generic term, the person of God, the man, the woman, the believer, might be The word in the old King James, perfect, the word is mature. That the believer might be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is, having everything you need to walk in righteousness in this world. And when you're walking in righteousness in this world, when you're living on the Word of God, when you're eating and sleeping the Word of God, guess what? You're going to be led of the Spirit and you're going to be blessed. And you're going to be able to endure anything that comes your way like Joseph. That's what's going to happen. That kind of thing characterizes the saints of God in Scripture. More on this in a later study, God willing. Joseph only had the Word of God by two means. He didn't have a completed Bible like we have. He had dreams that God gave him, those two dreams, And he had his ancestors that passed down what God had said, from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Joseph. But we have the Word of God written. And therefore, we we have nobody to blame but ourselves for our spiritual weakness, for our spiritual fears, and for our doubtings. You know what this is? Have you ever read that passage that says, We have the mind of Christ? This is the mind of Christ. The Word of God is the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Get the mind of Christ in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul said to the Philippians. We have the mind of Christ. Recorded in written form. We have everything we need to walk in faith and righteousness. So back to Jesus and these Sadducees. Jesus charged the Sadducees with ignorance of the Scriptures. And the reason they were ignorant or, or the result or the effect of being uh, ignorant of the Scripture was that they, they had ignorant, they were ignorant of doctrine. What would the Lord say to this generation? Jesus told them that if they were not ignorant of the Scriptures, they would not be ignorant of the power of God. That's the two charges. You're ignorant of the Scriptures, and you're ignorant of the power of God. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry... Nor are they given in marriage, but they are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you never read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine." That is, when the body dies, the person doesn't die. (laughs) When the body dies, the person doesn't die. That's what Joseph was saying. I'm going to die. My body is, but I'm not. Jesus charged the Pharisees with ignorance of the Scriptures, therefore ignorance of doctrine, and therefore ignorance of the power of God. And he said, if you weren't ignorant of the scriptures, you'd know that in heaven there are no marriage unions. The, the concern in heaven, now I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly with any of you, but let me tell you this. The concern in heaven is not whether your puppy is going to be there or your kitty cat's going to be there. Uh, it's not going to be boyfriends and girlfriends. It's not going to be husbands and wives. You read about it in the paper all the time. People mean well. I'm going to be looking for mama in heaven, but the concern in heaven is not boyfriends, not girlfriends, not husbands, not wives, not children, not parents. The concern in heaven is the glory of Jesus Christ who redeemed us. And if you don't believe me, just read it for yourselves in the book of Revelation. Here's a sample. The beasts around the throne give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever. Revelation 4.9. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4.11. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and under the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them heard I saying, blessing, honor, glory, and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Revelation five twelve and 13. All the angels that stood around the throne and about the elders and the four beasts fell down before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7 11 and 12. And one more. After these things, I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, Revelation 19, verse 1. As I have often said for the redeemed people of God, there is only one celebrity, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't make anything of any man. We make everything of Christ, and then there's no glory left for any man to have. The Lord Jesus Christ gets all the glory in heaven. Why shouldn't we give him all the glory now? In the second place, Jesus charged them with ignorance of the power of God. He said, because you're ignorant of the scriptures, you don't know, and therefore you don't believe, that the Lord has the power to resurrect the bodies of every person who's ever lived. I know what people say, well, what about cremation? What about burial at sea? What about being devoured by animals? Does God have the power to recover and resurrect such bodies? According to the scripture, he does. If he has created the universe and everything in it, he certainly has the power to resurrect those elements and to reconstruct them. If you're not ignorant of the scriptures, you know the answer to that question. Does God have the power to resurrect people? The Bible says nothing is impossible with God but two things. He can't lie, and he cannot deny himself. And ignorance of the scriptures led these Sadducees to believe only carnal doctrine, believe doctrine after the flesh, believe what was logical to them, what they could figure out. And that is that those who die are no more. Just the other day, I watched a conversation between a fellow that pastors a very large church. Uh, He was interviewing in his own church another man who pastors another church in another state. And this other man has written several books and even been involved in a movie. And the fellow that has been very, very powerful, the fellow that was being interviewed, he made several statements. I wish I'd written them all down, but he made this statement. He said, you know, he said, I think if Jesus were here today, he said, I think he'd be a filmmaker. What an ignorant statement to make, that he'd be a filmmaker. The Bible teaches that God sent his son in the fullness of time. He sent him at exactly the right time in history for him to come. The exact precise time in history. What would he be doing in Hollywood making movies? Not the Lord of the Bible, but these fellows have huge thousands and millions of followers. That's what he said. I think he'd be a filmmaker if he were here today. I don't. I think he'd be preaching just like he did in his day. And I think just like in that, uh, in that day, this generation wouldn't tolerate him as long as they did. They would crucify him. They would put him out of business because men can't stand the God of the Bible. They want a God after their own imagination and so they say, well, when you're, when you're dead, you're gone. And this guy went on to talk about how much money he had raised from this person and that person and the other person. And one person that contributed very heavily, he said, very heavily to the making of this film and all this was uh, Miss Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey. You know what Oprah Winfrey believes? She believes that she's God. She believes in reincarnation. I know a man who baptized Oprah Winfrey years ago. I don't think it took. I don't think it took. I don't think there was any real repentance and faith there. My dear friends, get your doctrine. Listen now, I love theology as much as anyone here. I like to read philosophy when I can. I like history. I love to find out what other people are thinking. But I don't need to learn what the Bible says by reading what other men say it says. Let's judge them by the Word of God. Let's discern whether they're telling the truth by the Word of God, not the Word of God by what they say, not even by what I say. I don't want you to do that. I want you to get in the Scripture yourself and find out if the Lord has actually said this. So, ignorance of the Scripture led them to believe a carnal doctrine that those who have died are no more. But our Lord says that the Father is not the God of the dead, verses 32, but of the living, verse 32. And so Joseph says, I die. My body is going to die, but I'm not. And a time will come when he'll be reunited with a glorified body. Now, let's go back to Genesis 50 and move on to his statement, in his statement here. He says, I die. This is verse 24, Genesis 50, verse 24. And then he says, and God will surely visit you. Now, when I deal with passages like this, I go back and look up, the Hebrew and the Greek, and see what these scholars say about it. And I found out that this word, this little phrase, will surely, means there's no question about it. I'm confident. I'm convinced. And I found out that it's what the Hebrew scholars call an infinitive absolute. You know what an absolute means? It means that there's no question about it. So why is Joseph so sure about this? Watch it now. Joseph said unto them, I die, and God will surely visit you. That term God is the name for God, Elohim. Elohim is translated God. And he's sure because Elohim, the true and only living God, will do it. He's not sure about anything in Israel. But I'm sure he will do it, Elohim will do it, because he has promised it. And then he says, watch this now. He says, God will surely visit you. And I found out that this is in the imperfect mood. and you know what that means? It means he's going to begin visiting you. He's going to begin to visit you, and it's going to be a continual long-term visit. You're going to have a visitor, and your visitor is going to be a divine visitor, Elohim, the Lord himself, and he's going to visit you to see you through the Exodus, he's going to see you through the Red Sea crossing, he's going to see you through the wilderness, and he's going to see you into the promised land, the land that he promised you. i tell you this, nothing remains the same when Elohim visits. You know what America needs today? They need a visit. From the God of the Bible. God has not visited this nation in a nationalistic, redemptive way lately. He has visited us economically to prosper us, but our prosperity has not resulted in our turning to Him in thanksgiving and praise to Him, but it's resulted in the worship of ourselves. And without realizing it, we are rapidly fulfilling the prophecy of the last days. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men should be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents. Unthankful, that's ungrateful, unholy. Without natural affection. It's only natural that a woman should love something growing inside of her, isn't it? But when you're without natural affection, you don't love things that you naturally ought to love. Truce breakers. Say one thing, to another. False accusers, that's bribes. Incontinent, that's self-control. Fierce, mean, cruel. Despisers of those that are good. The more like the Lord Jesus Christ anyone is, the more they are despised in this generation. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. I've never seen such a religious generation. But they deny the power thereof. They find that the, the reason for their religiosity and their goodness and their morality is within themselves. It's not because the Lord has anything to do with it. Never have so many people been so religious and yet so selfish and so greedy and so boastful and so conceited. Never have so many children in this nation that has been blessed beyond description been so disobedient to their parents and so ungrateful. Never have so many hated the good and loved the wicked. The more one is against Christ, the more popular one is in this generation. What we need in America is a visit from the God of heaven. And Joseph was confident because he was convinced that God was going to visit them. Let's go on now, verse 24. He says, God will surely visit you, and God will surely bring you out of this land. And this is in the perfect mood, too will surely bring, and that means that it is as good as done. I wrote this quote down from a Hebrew scholar. He said, sometimes in Hebrew, future events are conceived so vividly and so realistically that they are regarded as having virtually taken place and are described by the perfect mood. This is the perfect mood. So when he says, he will surely visit you in Joseph's mind, it's done. It's as good as done. And I ask you this morning, are you as sure for heaven as if you were already there? Elohim's promise, notice, is built upon an oath. Watch this now. Joseph took an oath of his, of his brothers, verse 25, but look at the last part of verse 24. He will bring you out of this land unto the land which he swear to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Now would you turn to Hebrews 6, and we'll see if we can wind this up. Hebrews chapter 6 in the New Testament. Once he swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When we get to Hebrews chapter 6, we find that Paul is speaking of the reasonableness of resting on the promises, and he's using Abraham as an example. In the earlier verses, verses 8 through 12, and in earlier chapters, chapters 2 through 4, he warned about the oath of God's wrath. when God took an oath and said, I'm going to deal with you in wrath, using the children of Israel in the wilderness. But now the wrath was temporary, but the oath of grace is in force forever. Now you'll note in verse 13, verse 13. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope before us, whence hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into the, to that within the veil, where, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me see if I can cover this quickly for you. In verse 13, he tells us that the Lord, unsolicited, swore by the greatest thing of all, which was himself. And the meaning of that, when it says, and God swore, the meaning of that is this. The Lord said, as sure as I am God, I'll do this and I'll do that. This all refers back to Genesis 22 where we read of Abraham's sacrificing his son Isaac and the Lord coming to him and supplying a ram in the place of his son. And Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord sees and the Lord has provided. And the angel of the Lord there in Genesis chapter 22 who spoke to Abraham, that is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate glory. That is, before he became a man, he existed as the second person of the Godhead. That's in Genesis chapter 22. So God, to assure Abraham beyond a doubt that he would keep his word, he added a vow to what he had promised. And when a person makes a vow, this is verse 16, when a person makes a vow, he uses the name of someone greater than himself. Now what does that remind you of? Does that remind you of the way it used to be in a courtroom? Did you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. That phrase is now left out. There have even been some in court cases in which they use the Quran rather than the Bible. To swear by greater here means that you swear in the name of God. That's what that means. You swear in the name of God. And he says this usually settles all the argument. Did you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. That settles the argument. Verse 17. To those who were to receive the promises, the Lord wanted to make, make it very clear that he would never change his purpose, that his purposes and his promises are forever, that is, immutable. God is immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his plan. He doesn't change his purpose. Why should he have to go back and change if he has perfect knowledge of things? If he has perfect knowledge and he knows where it's going to be or he knows what he's determined for it to be, why should he have to change anything? So he added a vow, called in the King James Version an oath and this is the same thing that Joseph demanded of his brothers. They swore to him that they would not bury him in Egypt. Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And the two things that confirmed what the Lord promised, which is right here in the Hebrews chapter 6, the two things Was his immutable counsel, his unchangeable counsel, you know what that means, counsel? Millions and millions and millions of years ago, which is the only way I can speak, before time existed, the persons of the Godhead had a counsel. The father said, I'm going to create a universe, and I'm going to create a people, and I'm going to redeem a people. And the son said, I'll go and die for them. And the Spirit said, I'll call them. That's the eternal counsel happened way before time was ever even in existence. That counsel between the persons of the Godhead can never and will never be changed. Number two, the second thing, His immutable counsel, His purpose from all eternity, and secondly, His Word when God gives his word and says, I promise, you can depend on it. And what does this mean to us? And I'm going to close out here. It means this, brothers and sisters. It means that if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that if you have trusted him, it means that if you have come to him, you are assured that you will be saved. Let me tell you very quickly, without going in a lot of detail, how this promise that God made, in which He swore, verse 18, by two immutable things, and I've told you those immutable things are His eternal counsel and His word. Notice how they build this up. He calls it, first of all, a strong consolation, verse 18. It was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation. That word there, consolation, means encouragement. God wants to encourage us. The Lord wants his children to be encouraged in this life. Then secondly, he says, who have fled for refuge. In the Old Testament, you have the cities of refuge, and that's when you accidentally kill somebody, and you know that their brothers and sisters are going to kill you. You ran to a city of refuge and nobody could touch you there. Well, Jesus is our city of refuge. He's a hiding place from all the judgment and all the wrath from the avenger of blood, which is the justice of God. Then it's called, in verse 18, a hope. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope. A hope hope is something that's certain, but it's future. Then it's called an anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul. Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Jesus is our anchor. He keeps us from drifting away to finally be lost. This world is like being at sea in a storm, and we don't want to lose our cargo. That's our happiness and our assurance. And heaven is the harbor to which we sail. Then it's called... Sure and steadfast, look at verse 19, once enters into the veil, verse 19, both sure, anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. It's as sure as the promises of God, it's as steadfast as the purposes of God, and notice what he says now, I really don't, I'm not going to take any more of your time, I wish I could expound a little bit more on this, but this is what he says. It says that the line attached to our anchor in verses 19 and 20, that the line attached to this anchor goes all the way up to heaven, passes through the veil into the holy place, the holy of holies where God himself dwells. This line reaches into heaven passes through the veil into the Holy of Holies and is held at the other end by the one sitting upon the throne. It says that the Lord Jesus is holding the line to that anchor to make sure that we don't drift. And if you drift, if you start drifting and you drift too far, he'll just take you out. That's right. He'll take you out. He just remove you. He did some of them taking the Lord's Supper. They abused the Lord's Supper and the, the Lord took them out. And uh, Arthur Pink says in John chapter 14 when he talks about pruning off some of those branches, he said some of that he thinks believes in taking them out. Because we're here and we're not bringing him any fruit and any glory, so he just takes them out. He doesn't dishonor us, he doesn't throw us out of the family, he doesn't kick you into hell. But if you live in your life after the flesh, what good are you to him? So what is the key? The key is getting that doctrine in your heart, getting it into your soul. And this is the foundation of the faith of Joseph way back over there in the book of Genesis. Thank you for your time and your attention. Let's stand together and we will... Sing a little song and be dismissed. I hope that you're having a safe new year. Please be careful. I received word this week that uh, the coronavirus cases in Williamson County are up. I don't know what stripe of, you know, whether it's Omicron or Corona 19 or whatever it is, COVID 19, but please be careful. Don't let your guard down yet. Stay safe and uh, make sure that you you keep yourself uh, away from anybody that you think is ill or sick. We have several folks that didn't come today because they're sick, they're ill. We don't know exactly what all of them have, but some of them didn't feel well, and I appreciate them sparing the rest of us uh, from that. Dr. Foster and Linda uh, got sick a few weeks ago and And Dr. Foster said they got that gift from their granddaughter. So you need to be careful. All right, let's sing a hymn of praise to the Lord. Under the blood of Jesus.
2: (coughs) Under the blood of Jesus. Love,
0: now, what the weatherman has predicted this coming week, but please be careful. No doubt, we may have at some point in the future more snow and more ice. Please be very careful. Please pray for and contact any that you can remember who are not here with us. Uh, Shirley Murphy uh, and the Hazelwoods and the family over in uh, Murfreesboro. Um, the Swindoll family, and other, the other families that are, are sick and ill and under the weather. Pray for them and let them know you missed them. And uh, Carl and Ruby, we're glad to see you guys today. They've been through a lot, and the Lord has uh, raised Carl back up, and he's doing fine. Good to see all of you. Let's pray for, uh, for Dee and Mary Jane and their kids as they return to Mozambique. Pray for them. That's a long, long trip, a long haul over there, Uh, pray for them that they might be used in that nation as a witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, and I pray that you will put in each of our hearts a desire to live upon the word of God. For as you have told us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. Oh, help us, Lord, as we read your word, as we study your word, to meditate upon it, to memorize it, and to live according to it and upon it. Bless us as we part, use us for your glory. We ask your mercy upon this nation that is straying from the God who has established it and made it great. Oh, recover the gospel and recover a desire in human hearts for thy word. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and for his sake. Amen.